All right, what is going on, guys? It is it is Christmas Day, and it is the beginning of Rally Week. We're getting ready with the first episode on Q, and you guys will be listening to that one in just a minute with Mr. David Pearson. But before we get to that, we've got our final Christmas greetings. So hope everybody is having a great Monday, Christmas, holiday day and enjoying. Hey friends, this is Matthew from Raleigh Moto Shop. Wishing you all a warm and restful holiday season and a fast and sandy 2024. We're working on some really exciting new projects in the shop over the winter here that we're really looking forward to sharing with you in the new year. All the best. Hi, this is Bobby Patrick's Nora Rally Race School attendee. Just wishing you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from Ohio. Hey, what's up, everybody? Ace from High Desert Adventures. Just wishing you a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays. Hope you're all doing well and wish you the best in 2024. Peace. So from ours to yours, guys, I hope every him, guys and gals and listeners worldwide, I hope you guys have an excellent holiday with your family. And we're looking forward to 2024. So with that being said, let's get to the episode. What is going on, guys? It is time for another episode of the Chasing Waypoints podcast. And well, if you heard the announcements coming in, coming in hot. We are counting down to the Dakar Rally. It is coming up January 5th. Going to be starting off the party. But before we close out the year, we are going to be doing Rally Week. That is right. We're going to be doing Rally Week on the Chasing Waypoints podcast, so stay tuned for multiple episodes coming your way. We're going to be having a new episode daily. And today, day number one. And if you guys read the title, you know who we've got. None other than David Pearson. One half of the Pearson brothers, the Danger Twins. We're going to be having some fun talk about some rally stuff huge year in 2023 so looking forward to 2024 so we'll be talking a little bit about what has been happening and going down but i'm excited a lot of stuff coming a lot of stuff so i'm excited how's everybody's uh christmas day going huh huh december 25th holiday day i don't know you know i think it's a pretty good one so wrapping up the year i'm hoping everybody's having a good year so far only got a few more days to turn it around if not and if not hey a few more days and it's time to hit the reset button 2024 so lots of new stuff headed your way with the podcast and a couple other projects Uh, we'll get to those as we get to them let's see here we're getting it doing what are we going to be doing? Put this thing on uh, focus so we don't get uh, our spam callers from 
I don't know. What do you guys do? You guys, does everybody get the IRS phone calls that we do here in the States? You know, well, I guess that would only be a, a stateside thing. Maybe it's a different department abroad. You know, so is, you know, John Smith with the Internal Revenue Service calling about something. Uh, you never know. Anyway, all right. Start turning the party down. I'm excited. It is Rally Week. Getting started episode number one with David Pearson. So let's give him a call. Moving on around. We're going to go over to the contacts. We're going to go to this way. We're going to do that one. And make sure we're typing in the name correct. There it is. All right. Let's give him a call. Good morning, Victor. Mr. Pearson, how are you? I am doing well, sir. Very good, thank you. Nice, very nice. Hopefully, in some uh, some drier weather, we're getting we're getting some uh, rain here in San Diego. <laughs> no, I am sitting in my moto van south of Tucson in a rainstorm, so it's a good day to test all the equipment out in this new van. But uh, it is raining where I'm at as well. So, Ooh, we can kind of hear it in the background. That's coming down. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know if you could hear me, and I hold on. I gotta turn my heater off. I'm still, no, no, no. still, still figuring out all these details on this van. It's kind of new for me. Yeah, the the new edition. I got to see it up at uh, up in Vegas uh, a few weeks back. Now, when you when you first picked it up, that's right. This is the inaugural break-in ride. My wife and I, uh, her mother-in-law, lives in Green Valley, and so we went and spent a couple of days in Madera Canyon. And uh, I got a little dirt bike riding in and, uh, you know, try to see how long we can last before the power shuts off or the water cuts out or something happens, you know? Yeah. Got to be prepared for the unknown. <laughs> that is a fact. So, but uh, no, um, Ford went pretty well in the big picture. So nice. Very nice. So, man, a lot of So that was the new addition to the, uh, to the race team. What a... Uh, it's been a it's been a minute since we caught up. I mean, we've had all sorts of stuff. Baja rally in between. A few oh, it's been a, you know, it's been a year. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, true. Before I, the Dakar was the last time we actually officially spoke on the podcast. I think yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. You know how Google and Facebook and all those things just kind of like bring up all your old memories. So they're just hammering me right now with all the prep stuff that I did getting into the Dakar and some of the lead up to our events. So it's always kind of a, you know, they make you go down memory lane to some degree. So it's been, uh, yeah, it's been a crazy year, but you know, I, I decided this year that um, I would volunteer at the races that I did last year in preparation for the Dakar. So I, I did extraction at the Sonora rally and uh, a little bit of rerouting with uh, with Scott Whitney. And then I went and worked at the Baja rally. The Kota rally didn't happen this year, so I didn't do that one. But uh, so it's been a different year for me in the sense of working events rather than racing them, you know, mm -hmm. how I mean, Honestly, how has that been, though? I mean, do you, is it is it tough for you at the at the starting lines and the bivouacs and, you know, knowing you're usually <laughs> behind the helmet? Well, other than you got me in trouble at the, you know, at the uh, was it Sonora, was it Baja? I guess it was Baja. 
because uh, I was doing extraction there with uh, Dan and we, we took out the Canadian guy on the Tenere T7 and broke a couple bones and had to helicopter out. He's okay. But uh, so I got to ride his T7 80 kilometers into the final pit. And so then I got there and, you know, helmet fully on back into full race mode and, you know, got to ride somebody else's bike. And so then we had the riders meeting and it was supposed to be followed by the staff meeting. And so when the riders meeting finished, I went and hung out with the riders and the racers and forgot to go to the staff meeting. <laughs> and then they're like, you know, it's staff meeting. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm a racer. Not a, not a. So it was, uh, I had a moment there. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I forgot which camp I'm in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, it was cool, really, to see the the inner workings that get you to the race. And, and you know, I, I think we all know, but the, the guys that put on these events certainly don't do it for money. They do it because they enjoy it and the passion. They love the camaraderie and the competition. And, you know, and so uh, the Sonora, which was a world event this year, was, you know, was just a it was a bit of mayhem and, you know, it was, it was really the ASO organization and Darren and everybody trying to keep everybody on task. Um, we had seven extractions that week. Uh, you know, I mean, I remember getting Patrick Reyes out of the desert oh. at like 10, 10 30 at night, you know? And, uh, and, you know, he's kind of sleeping underneath a sagebrush in the middle of the desert with his emergency blanket and, you know, gets up smile on his face we load his bike get him to a you know find a place where we can all spend the night and you know and he is up early got trucks happening got his bike cleaned up and is getting ready for the next race day and you know and uh so it was it was cool to see how much effort goes into the actual preparation and the organization of the event like i finished snora going holy crap I, i'm tired this was this was as hard if not sometimes harder than actually doing the actual race so it was uh it was it, it, i got some great appreciation out of doing the event as a volunteer as compared to as a competitor you know yeah yeah there's a I, I feel like as a as a competitor there's while there is a a unknown value out there right if if something happens with the bike or is it for the most part it's a known it's a known number you know you, you're going to get to the finish line you got to do a b c and d and then you're good, you know, but, uh, but yeah, as, as, uh, volunteering and assisting and doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. You just, you know, everybody you're after and looking after everybody. So it, it yeah, it definitely, I can see what you're saying. You know, it's, it's a, it's a much more tiring type deal. Well, you go from like almost sitting, you know, uh, uh, my buddy Russell and I, you know, ripped up his Raptor for, five days at the Sonora. And so there, there were times where we like ran a little checkpoint or we were just, you know, stationed in the middle of nowhere, kind of waiting for something to happen. Right. So you go from zero to hero in all of a radio call, right. You're like, okay, I'm just going to shoot the shit and talk with Russell and kind of keep an eye on the radio. And then you hear that, you know, somebody's down, something's happened. And so you're, you know, then you're in full, you know, awareness mode and you're trying to listen to, what's happening on the radio so you can position yourself in the right spot to go, you know, help, help somebody. Right. Cause you don't know the severity of the incident or uh, the challenges that are going to happen when you get there. And so, you know, you just like, okay, 
you hear something's going on and Russell and I are like, okay, let's get prepared. Let's, you know, pack the truck, make sure if they say go, we're ready to go. And, um, you know, and so, you know, and like I said, we, we extracted seven people over that five days, you know, um, probably our, our, uh, coolest one was getting, uh, um, Matthew out from, you know, RMS out of the middle of the desert. Right. Cause that was, but, you know, we just, we couldn't get the truck into the dunes far enough to actually get to them. So we got far enough. Then we had to walk about a kilometer and a half to actually get to him. And, uh, you know, the helicopter was there. They had him on IVs. You know, he just dehydrated. They were in the peak of heat of the day. And, you know, and so you just, you know, some of you just freaking out. You're like, oh my God, this guy's really hurt. How do I deal with it? And, you know, you've, you're taking your red cross training, you've taken all your first aid stuff. And then you're like, Oh God, please don't let me have to like do some of these things. Right. And so, uh, fortunately none of the accidents were serious enough that they needed that level, but they still needed people to help them and get them in and get them out and, you know, deal with the vehicles and the bodies. So it was, uh, you know, you just finish and you wrap up at, you know, midnight, one o'clock and then, you know, 5am you're back up again, getting out to the right position to, you know, see these guys come through. So, you know, and the ASO is a beast in itself and every once in a while they'd start talking French and, you know, my smart ass Canadian would come on the radio and be like, we need English, please. I, I need to, I need to hear what's going on in English so I can help, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it, um, <laughs> you're, I mean, you're saying it, I'm reliving that situation, you know, when, and, uh, <laughs> back in the office, you know, <laughs> so it's, uh, you're right. You know, it, it's, uh, it was definitely a different dynamic. Yeah. It, it was really cool to be part of the world event. And, uh, you know, Darren, uh, Darren definitely, uh, put a lot of effort in to get them out for that. And, you know, it was, it was unfortunate that at the last minute, the kind of government shut out a bit of the dune stuff for them. Um, but ultimately, uh, you know, it, just to see that level of talent on our ground, you know, and I say North American soil, you know, U.S., you know, Mexico kind of thing. It was uh, it was pretty cool to watch some of that stuff happen and just see some of the talent roll through, you know, some of our stuff. And then, you know, comment about just how cool some of our terrain is compared to stuff they've been doing around the world, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was that was a. That was a neat event for me, for sure. I, uh, I I totally have huge respect for all the effort that Darren has to go through and Aaron Lee and all the people that really put that on. It's just, um, you know, for a group of volunteers that show up with minimal direction and instruction, most of us were, um, you know, prepared to do what we were supposed to do. And so, um, you know, at some points you just do it, right. You just, okay, they need me here, go there. They need me here, go there. I can't make it here. Somebody else needs to go there. And, um, so, you know, lots of radio chatter and just lots of coordinated effort. My, my wife, she's like, Oh, you're finally going to go to an event that you don't actually hurt yourself. <laughs> Cause you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm really good at hurting myself. And so I'm like, yeah, I mean, this is awesome. So, <laughs> so one think, half uh, of the danger twins, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> so day three, we're out at the checkpoint and my buddy Russell, love him, uh, has got a Raptor. And so we're putting a sun shield on the main windscreen of the, of the windshield of the Raptor. And he walks around and manages to close my pinky finger in the main door, you know, 
cook off most of my nail and a good chunk of the skin. And thank God we were right by the helicopter and the ambulance because I run over, you know, pretty sure I could have used a few stitches. And so then I'm sending my wife a picture. I'm like, look, honey, I ripped my finger off at the Sonora rally. I just can't come out here without at least a little bit of blood on the ground. So... (laughs) Yes. It, it, it's it's kind of a, a, a of a christening kind of thing you know it's just a <laughs> i like to leave my mark <laughs> uh yes you know and uh, uh unfortunately the the uh, dakar kind of you know slapped me to the ground pretty hard on day six stage five and i believe i uh, ruptured a disc in my neck and uh, ultimately had surgery back in february to fix that problem, put a new, new disc in. And so I've been uh, quite happy with the results of that and been back on the bike riding and ripping it up a little bit. So, but, uh, that was, a that, you know, that was a byproduct of my 2019 broken neck at the Baja that I wore out the disc below it. It was common. I just, yeah, I knew it and felt it and yeah. tried to get through it at the Dakar and, and hit the ground hard enough that it caused me a tremendous amount of pain and pulled me out of the race, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's, you know, it, again, it goes back to one of the, the, the never know situations, you know, everything on the bike is dialed, but it just, you know, a slight fall, a closing of a door, you know, it just, <laughs> things can change pretty quickly. Totally. Yeah. And I, you know, I was so well prepared for that event and excited in my first five days, five and a half days were just, uh, you know, they were smooth and solid and, you know, I wasn't trying to take home some gold medal. I was just trying to survive the event. And, um, so it was really disappointing. I, I have been notably disconnected from the Dakar this year until the last couple of days here. Cause I, you know, my brother and I talk all the time about the fact that we didn't finish that thing. And should we go back and finish that thing? And so it still gnaws at me something fierce, uh, you know, um, uh, Kyle McCoy is back there this year uh, to finish up what he started Mali Moto and, and uh, you know, uh, quietly went over there to get it done. And I total respect and, and give him a big shout out to make it happen this year because, you know, um, Kyle's not a guy to not finish stuff. You know, he's just that guy. Yeah. I mean, I, for, I mean, and to be honest, I mean, to, to all, all racers, but you know, I, I, I agree with you, you know, all of a sudden I didn't find out until the ASO released the the numbers and i'm scrolling through you know one by one and then all of a sudden i see mccoy i'm like wait a minute and so yeah that's uh it it, it was a surprise but it's um not surprising right you know it's like yeah he's got unfinished business so yeah you know for a man who's hiked run the dog sled i did a odd game he's not a guy that gives up and um you know, I think we certainly put a ton of fanfare together and media stuff from last year. And I think ultimately he just wanted to go get it done and not really uh, be put under some microscope of performance equation. So I, I fully expect we'll see him uh, finish up this year as well. And, you know, Jacob's back again. And, you know, I think the, the American list of attendees this year is um, down to six or seven compared to the record we broke last year of 11 americans in the, in the motorcycle class and mm-hmm. so i even see old fair gold i shouldn't call it old fair prices you know doing it up on the side by side and you know we've seen her at a few of our north american rallies so i hope she she really does a nice job as well so it's going to be good to watch some of that i hear they're going to have a little bit more tv coverage from the was it mav tv network is going to mm-hmm. do a hour release uh, in addition to 
you know, the couple, three minutes we get from the DACA organization. So uh, more coverage is coming our way. It's yeah. good. I think that'll, yeah, that'll be good. I mean, and, and it's the increase in I- exposure. I mean, and that actually kind of leads me to the next, the next question. And we were kind of talking about overall, you know, volunteering and doing what you did this year. What, what did it, I mean, what was the general sentiment? I mean, is it, is it rally growing? Are you seeing rookies like really like, okay, I just got my ass handed to me, but I love this. You know, I wanted to like, what, what are you, what's your sentiment of the sport growing here in North America? You know, I think we're a niche, obviously. And, um, you know, we saw some, we saw some new players at Sonora, saw some new players at the Baja rally. Um, I was just at the Sonora rally school last week. Uh, saw a number of new players there, you know, so I think we're seeing more people come into the game. I don't think we're going to see hundreds of thousands of people enter rally in a short order, but I think, you know, um, we pick up a few here and there and a few of us old guys kind of maybe inspire some new guys to go out and try it. And, uh, you know, at the Baja, there was a guy that drove his 10 ray all the way from Toronto, uh, to do his first rally. Like, and he showed up with a Mali moto box tied to the back of that thing, two tire and rim sets. And <laughs> he was loaded for bear. Um, you know, and three hours later, he had that bike ripped apart and put back together. And, you know, he just had an amazing spirit. He had to get off somewhere, you know, midway through the race. And, uh, but, you know, he's vowed to come back. And, you know, we know this sport is, it's tough. It's dangerous. It's challenging. Uh, the organizations do their best to really put it on in such a way that is, it's all those things. And they do it with, uh, you know, some oversight, some safety. And so I, I think we'll continue to see more people enter the space. Um, you know, just look at what's happening for events coming into North America for 2024. And there's going to be, you know, what I think is going to be a fairly good amount of races people can go to, you know, this isn't the easiest, cheapest race to do. Um, but damn, it's a lot of fun. And if you, if you catch the bug, um, it's hard to let it go. So I, I, I expect we're going to see some new players coming into next year and, um, and we'll continue to see the sport continue. I don't think it's going to disappear. Um, the real question is, can we continue to get the land and the ability to go play? And, you know, most of us just love the off piece HP part. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes that's the hardest thing for this race to put out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's, I mean, especially, I mean, I'm, I'm in California. So, and I mean, and you know, the story here in California, it's like, it seems everywhere you go, there's a locked gate, there's or a gate going up, you know, it's never the other way around. No. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I said, our issue isn't that we're losing lands. We're not making more of it. And, uh, you know, uh, to see what Scotty did down in Baja to really connect with some of the, you know, big ranch lands out there that they give us some private access to, some of that space where we're not ripping up old whoops Baja core stuff is, you know, is a, is a, a nice driver for the Baja rally and, you know, Darren, same thing coming to the dune stuff and being able to do some of it off piece. Uh, I was fortunate enough to help cut a few routes for the potential upcoming, um, uh, battleborn mm-hmm. and, you know, we managed to find some off piece stuff and even got some feedback from 
forest and BLM land on, on some of the terrain that we could go play on. So, you know, Kent, you, you had them on your podcast, Kent's done, Kent and Jennifer have done a really good job getting through some of the bullshit requirements of the government. And, you know, we're all hopefully hearing that he's a full-fledged go and we have a, you know, new Nevada, new old Nevada rally back on the, on the docket, you know? So, um, and then we'll, and then I think we'll see a lot more people that are willing to venture into that, uh, that maybe weren't willing to venture across the border into Mexico in today's current environment, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, I I agree with you. I mean, and, and it's nice, you know. I've I've already heard that uh, from Mike Graves. It looks like Kota Rally is 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 looking really good for this year, uh, coming year twenty twenty four. Uh, the Battleborn Rally, you know, um, I I actually got to check in with them and just kind of see where we're at, where they're at in the process, because I don't think they've announced a hard date yet. So I don't know if they're maybe waiting for January one or something like that. No, Kent's awesome. Actually, I just got to my mother-in-law's in Green Valley, and there was a pound of fudge with his name on it to me. And so I, I uh, chatted with him, and I think he's waiting on a last few sign-offs to be able to truly put dates out there and get it to go. So, um, you know, uh, it's the government. They're here to help, and I'm sure they're on task and on schedule like like they always are. <laughs> clearly being facetious there (laughs) but um but you know kent's just such a nice guy he's a hard guy to turn down and um so if there's a guy that can work the relationship on that side that's great you know and and uh clearly what the kota rally did uh, a year before last was a huge leap in communication and connections with some of the local government world and uh, mike did a phenomenal job so if if Kent can copy some of those pieces, I think maybe we can get a couple of North American rallies that are true rallies, you know? And I, I, you know, Cocteau was probably one of the most enjoyable rallies for me last year. And training wise, cause I mean, I literally lived out of the Mali moto box. We had to sleep in tents. It rained, mm-hmm. you know, it was speed limited, but it was, you know, cool. It was nasty, rocky stuff. So the first three days of the Dakar felt like, you know, the first couple of days of Kota, it was rocky, nasty, rainy, you know, just stuff that nobody was expecting in the Saudi desert, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely what, what was the, what was the spec on that? It was like an entire year's worth of rain on the Dakar dates. Like it only rains so many days a year and it rained all of those days that year. Yeah, it was, I mean, we went there fully prepared for the fact that there were going to be some cold days. You know, you're going to get up at four in the morning and it's 42 degrees out and, you know, you got to ride for two hours before you get the dirt. And, you know, it's just part of the game at Dakar, but then, you know, turn it into sideways rain at 35 degrees. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it became, you know, it just, it took a lot of people out. Guys were sick and cold. And, you know, I remember one day, I think it was day three or four, uh, we made it to the last checkpoint when they stopped us mm-hmm. section of riders and they pulled us out and, you know, made us ride back on the road, you know, and there were so many guys that showed up that were totally in motocross gear, right? Like they show up to the start of the event. They, they shed all of their cold weather gear to do the, you know, three, 400, 500 K of special. Mm-hmm. And, and then it went sideways and all these guys are like looking for garbage bags and, 
you know, trying to stay warm on the highway and follow a chase truck. And, you know, it's when I was like, thank God I'm in Mali Moto because, you know, you just pack everything. So I'm like pulling out my rain jacket and my, my gloves and my little balloon seat and you know and i'm i got my heat hand warmers out and you know, guys are like looking at me like you suck i'm like yeah i suck pretty good i'm gonna be warm turn on my music <laughs> gonna ride for two hours and you know uh you know it was uh it was just brutal right and you know to lose an entire pit underwater was just crazy so it was uh, uh to see some of that happen at that car i think nobody expected it you know yeah. you know yeah, it caught a lot of people off, you know, obviously it caught a lot of people off guard. And yeah, when they were, I mean, canceling, you know, stay, what was the, the first part of the marathon stage, right? That they canceled because the bivouac was underwater. Yeah, they, they uh, I mean, they sunk the tanker truck and filled that thing with water. Yeah. And then, you know, they got so bad with the tents that, that they had to reroute us. Everybody's like, oh, cool, we got another free day. Well, you know, they didn't really talk about the fact that that meant all the, all the vehicles had to go do another 400 kilometers on pavement to get back to uh, Riyadh to get resettled and restarted, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so that, you know, it was still a tremendous day for, you know, certainly the guys on motos because they're just open elements and having to, you know, ride that kind of distance back at 110 kilometer speed limit on pavement, you know, on your dirt bike wears you out, wears you out. Sometimes, if not more than, you know, uh, racing on full, you know, sand dunes and the hot weather, it's just, uh, they both just beat you, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, they were, they felt so bad for us Malimoto guys one night because it was raining so bad that, you know, normally we're sleeping in tents on the ground. And so they actually opened up a commissary tent and 26 of us sardined into this tent, um, you know, and so we literally... And look like a bunch of dead guys just sleeping on the ground. Yeah. Um, turns out old Paul Neff snored significantly enough. Then we woke up, he had like this radius circle around him where everybody had kind of moved away. Because <laughs> when he starts snoring, dude, <laughs> nobody else You're can coming. sleep. It was awesome. <laughs> it's like a semi truck on a 16% downgrade with a <laughs> all the engine braking, not some of it, all of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I learned that at the, uh, at the bar rally when we had to do the, the marathon stage out there. So I, I was quick to try and get to sleep early and I definitely, uh, put the earplugs in cause I knew as soon as Paul hit the ground. It was just going to be like a it was over a lawnmower and a you know a weed whacker <laughs> and and a chainsaw all going at it at the same time. So yeah. Oh man, it's, yeah. You they knew. I'm sure people knew something was up when you knew that you, where you had to move or where you were <laughs> when you strategically located yourself. And <laughs> I'm like Paul, where are you sleeping? He's like right here. I'm like I'll be on the other side of the Excellent, building. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, everybody's wondering why you're on the other side of the building instead of by the door. <laughs> That's right. You'll know in the morning, guys. <laughs> yeah, they did too. It was it was funny. It looked like it looked like he was in like the crater of a bomb. Like everybody around him, it just slowly moved away, <laughs> migrated to <laughs> <So>. the edges. <laughs> It was awesome, uh, but you know, it, but it, I mean, it's, it's part of the, the bivouac life and knowing and traveling with these guys and, you know, it's pretty cool, right? You think, I mean, he's, uh, you know, you guys have, have shared sleeping areas in, in two continents already, you know, so it's, uh, 
And lessons were learned, yes. <laughs> uh, lessons were learned, yes. Uh, it's good to see him back up and rolling and, and uh, doing his thing too. So, um, you know, uh, it's nice to see. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm getting ready, you know, to watch just crazy Dakar for this year. And it's, um, it's going to be interesting to see how Skyler performs on a Honda, Mason on a Chinese Kobe, and, yeah. you know, um, let's just see what happens. So it's, uh, I, I've been getting my hands wrapped around it and my head into the game. And so I'm, you know, uh, I'm ready, I'm ready to watch. I'm ready. I'm assuming you are going to do a bunch of podcasts on the daily updates. What's your plan? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm working on my, uh, the vocal cords and, you know, doing all the door remi fasolas and whatnot and <laughs> <laughs> getting ready for some early mornings. I'm actually, uh, uh, January one, I'm going to switch my schedule to, to work, start work even later. Uh, if they'll approve it, just just to have a little more breathing room in the morning to to do a recap and and do that stuff. So, uh, yeah, we're getting ready. I mean, it's it, and actually that was kind of cool, right? They moved it to the fifth of January instead of the first. Yeah, they they uh, they solicited a bunch of feedback to the racers after the event, and uh, I think at least from the majority equation, they said let's you know let's not try and make this such a crazy complicated holiday event and push it to the fifth so at least you know everybody could enjoy a little bit of time with the family and then not feel stressed out coming into new year's and so um it'll be interesting to see how it goes i i get it it makes i guess it kind of makes sense i don't know why you know we were doing it on the first just because it was the first but uh, so at least gives everybody a little bit of breathing room to get through some holidays with the family before we go you know in full race mode so yeah could be the uh well yeah i mean and and, i mean yeah you think about even holiday travel you know i I wonder how much even the organization saves by not having to travel on the holiday days you know if everybody's on the second or third you know going to be flying in well i would assume they're probably there before that but you know i I know it affects the bottom line yeah I, i think if i were to rewind to this year or fast forward to this year that you know, we would have flown in on the second or third for, you know, a couple, two or three days of acclimation and bike setup and doing that. Right. But there, there's still a lot of pre-work and stuff to get there, but um, it might've made a little bit of flight stuff easier and some of that travel a little bit easier, you know? So I'm assuming cost wise for them and all that stuff's part of that game. So yeah, it'll be uh I think it's a good move. I think I think if they keep it to those rough dates going forward, I think that might just make things a little bit easier for most people, right? You're not, you know, having to tell your wife and your kids and everything that you're not going to be around for Christmas or New Year's kind of thing, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. At least this way you can kind of move the New Year's, you know, you can, you can either travel on or right after New Year's or, or, you know, at least you're only missing one and not two. Right. Plus, then, you know, uh, all of us regular people are back to work just secretly watching the Dakar on our computer screens at work rather than, you know, <laughs> doing it during our holiday time. So I know, <laughs> I know right. Yeah. So so what are you thinking? I mean, what are, what are your what are your plans for for 24? What are you are you racing? Are we going back to race mode? Are we going back to volunteers splitting duties? What are you thinking? Uh, it is a tough tough question you ask and um i i struggled with that question a lot you know i've broken a lot of bones in my day and i've been racing since i was you know 
uh, I guess I've been racing dirt bikes since I was 20 something and, uh, recognizing that I'm going to be 55 in about 30 some days. And, uh, so I, I keep vacillating back and forth between maybe I should stop racing and I should just be, you know, a steward and help out at the organizations to, you know, uh, I got, I went to the Sonora, uh, rally training and, you know, Darren was nice enough to kind of let me in last minute. And I said, I just really want to run a road book. It's been a while. And, uh, Mike Johnson was there and, you know, and so some of the regular crew, old Ryan Norino and all the guys. And I met some young guy from, that had been racing the Baja for a number of years, really fast. And he wanted to try rally. And so we chatted for a while and gave some tips on road book stuff. And so he went out the first day and just rocked it, had a great day. Yeah. We weren't tracking times, but you know, we're always tracking times. So then you know, <laughs> there's like a the, theory I have on that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, the, you know, and the kids, whatever, right? The kid, I get the guys like 30 something. And so day two was a little more advanced road book. And, uh, so I kind of started last. I'm like, my goal is to catch this guy. Right. So I'm like hammering. So I went back into full race mode. And I'm like, ah, looks like I did pretty good. And, you know, I managed to beat him by a couple minutes. And, and uh, I said, all right. I'm still, I might be old, but I'm still smart enough and young enough to play in this rally game. So I, I, you may see me at an event or two. I, I think, I think I'm willing to. Hey guys, what's going on? This is Victor with the chasing waypoints podcast. Hey, super quick. We have got some news for you guys. So Mira activewear, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the brand. You should be. You've seen their handiwork. If you've seen pictures of happy Dave and few of our other riders here in the States, but also in the Dakar rally, a lot of the, top pros wearing their windbreakers, custom made uh, rally suits and things like that. They have been phenomenal. They are a very, very high quality product, awesome printing design team, everything. But the reason we're interrupting this episode is they have got a fundraiser and promotional raffle going on right now between now and February. You want to get on over there. So you can purchase a limited edition Mira bandana set. So three special designs that will get you entered into the contest for a grand prize of a full rally suit. So check out all the rules and limitations, all that fun, you know, all that jargon, get on over to the website. Link is in the description and let's get back to the episode. Volunteer. And there might be an adventure too, that I just decide I just want to participate in, you know, I mean, uh, some of me, I'm a bit of a sandbagger. So I've been like saying, well, maybe it's time you guys had like a senior class for us 55 plus guys. So, you know, at least I can still go home with a trophy. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. The rally, uh, the rally senior, uh, that one uh, always, I don't, I don't know where the cutoff is on that one. Cause I know Mario Mendoza was in the, in that class, but I don't remember if it was 50 at Baja rally or, you know, I don't know. But yeah, I I don't, I don't, I don't. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm still jurried out In, in any event. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm committed to volunteer with Kent as long as this all pulls together for the Battleborn. So, uh, whether that's, uh, you know, doing some route validation or being there for it is, is on my game. If, if Mike Graves is listening to me, he's still on my volunteer list of things to do as far as events go. And then, um, uh, I don't know. I feel like Scotty has roped me in pretty good to play at the Baja event and we still haven't heard from Darren. So, uh, I'm, uh, we're all on pins and needles to hear if he is going to set some dates and make that happen. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think I'm, 
to give to answer my question that I'm volunteering probably a little more than I'm racing. Um, but you know, it's built into me. So if you want to race, just show up. I'm ready whenever you want. Just, just, show <laughs> just, up. just bring it. <laughs> <laughs> just, there doesn't have to be an official race for us to race. Does there Victor? No, uh, no. I mean, that's, that was the, uh, that's the theory. I, I just did this, uh, which was really cool. I saw, uh, I worked this event down here in, uh, in Tijuana, uh, in Playas and yeah, it was just, it was like an adventure rally, you know, like the Geico stuff and some of that stuff, just a route that they followed and, uh, on GPS. But like I was telling the, the, the owner of the place, I'm like, look, the thing is, is that you can't put three people on dirt bikes and not expect one of them to want to show up before everybody else. So, <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, you know, it was, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where you're you know, like, Hey guys, it's, you know, it's not a race. It's just don't lose time, you know, doing things that you can avoid, right. Long fuel stops, food and stopping to stretch and pictures and call home and all this. So it was like, all it is is conserve, conserve your time. And, uh, you know, as soon as I, I, you know, five, four, three, two, one, and let them go and they are ripping up the road. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you can't, you know, it, it all changes when the green flag is there. <laughs> so, so yeah. yeah, even when the, even when the flag's not there, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't really know? change. So, yeah. <laughs> especially oh if the God. rally come, cause you know, if, especially if it's a flying start, <laughs> It's not physically there, but man, it, when that thing beeps, you know, the time is on. So I had, uh, I had the good graces to go ride with Johnson and brother Jim and, and Mike's uh, son on a bit of an adventure ride up in Wyoming this last year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we, we used the rally comps in kind of an enduro mode, which provided us basically an arrow that we had to, uh, follow even in a Y and a road, sometimes you have to make some decisions on which way to go. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the game was more about not really the fast guy, but the guy that, you know, got all of the waypoints throughout the riding days. And we did, you know, we rode for a week or so. And uh, so we got in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming, and my brother made some of these routes. Mike Singh made some of these routes and they were just very Google earth quickly thrown together you know, um, my brother got us to some private ranches with gates, you know, so then we had to turn around and kind of reroute around stuff. And, um, and so we got in the middle of Wyoming nowhere and we all kind of got lost and we all kind of got separated. And, and so I had lost my phone a few hours earlier. So I had no communications. I was relying on one of the other guys to have a GPS. So I had no GPS and so I'm in the middle of nowhere with nothing but the rally comp and an arrow. And, uh, and I'm like, I had, you know, a few moments of anxiety. I'm like, shit, I don't know where I am. I'm like, well, I, I just need to follow the arrow. Well, the aerial arrow got us to a fence line and I went right a couple kilometers, couldn't figure it out. I went left a couple kilometers, couldn't figure it out. And so ultimately I got around the fence line and just followed the arrow. And then I found myself on another road. So all the rest of the guys had kind of rerouted off back to the pavement, got to our, you know, in town where we were staying in a hotel. And, and so I just followed the arrow cause I had no other choice. Yeah. And so I showed up there and I'm like, I got like 22 waypoints more than the rest of you guys. So I officially kind of won the event. Not that it was a race, <laughs> but I'm, I've been living off that for a few days. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Suckers. <laughs> I beat you at your own game. <laughs> That's right. After I yelled at him for leaving me in the middle of nowhere, I'm like, huh, oh, turns out I did pretty good. Mm-hmm. So 
Oh, I'm good. I don't even have to rush tomorrow. I'm like, you got, I could miss a few waypoints. I'm still good. I got, so. I got a few. <laughs> waking up in the morning with telling him, do you want a waypoint? I might, yeah, I might trade you a waypoint. <laughs> oh man, that is awesome. But I mean, you know, and that, that's a cool, I mean, it's a cool concept, you know, being able to do something like that. Right. You know, it, it definitely wasn't about the race and, um, it, you know, the person designing the route could play some tricks if they've ridden in there, you know, put the waypoint just a little bit off to the side. So you got to be on the inside of this corner to make sure you get it or, and at the end of the day, it's not a race. You're just, you know, tallying up the waypoints. So Yeah. Very cool. Uh, one of the cool things I've played with this year is really making routes. So, uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough to travel around the country. And, uh, so everywhere I go, I, pull out my sexy tablet and I'd make a run and then I GPX track it. Then I build a route. Right. So if you're, you know, if you want a route in Prescott or Colorado or New Mexico or something, and you haven't really tried it, reach out to me. Um, and I'd be happy to provide you the route and give you a little bit of guidance and, you know, uh, hook up your roadbook and just go run it. Right. I mean, um, you know, it doesn't have a lot of HP, but it's still a very cool thing to go, run your road book, you know, on some of the back roads all over the United States. And, um, you know, uh, who's the guy, Paul Mumford, you know, Mumford. Yeah. 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 He, he's absolute character, that guy. Yes. And so, you know, I'd sent him one of my routes I made in Santa Fe when I was learning how to rally. And I'm like, good luck, buddy. And take somebody with you because there's a section that is so tough. You may need two people to get through some of the rocks and the debris that, you know, we've routed on some HP stuff. And, you know, so uh, I I seem to be amassing a small database of cool roadbooks that, you know, after I run them two or three times, they kind of wear on you. And then it's just like, it's like trading baseball cards, you know, we're all like, all right, I'll give you this one. You give me that one. Let me try this one. You try that one. And, you know, it's just a great way to keep engaged in the sport and go play a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, you know, and, and it's something like that, you know, this, this is actually a, uh, a conversation that I had had previously with, uh, with Mason's dad, with Larry and about, you know, road books and the availability of road books. And, um, and it, and it seems like a lot of people, um, I don't want to say a lot of people, I, I, there's people that they kind of gatekeep road books and then they don't, they're maybe not so forthcoming, like with practicing, but I think that's on a different level, right? Because I think it's more like on the racers and, and more of the training and going into certain areas and things like that. So I, I can kind of see that, but you know, it's cool. You know, the, the, you know, you, you do some recreational road books, right? And, and of course with the riot act, Hey, you know, I haven't ridden this in so long, you know, there's always changes, ride what you see, you know, not, you know, this isn't, this isn't meant to be a race. So you know, when you hear some of the other like professional racers, like from Sonora, what I heard, you know, it's like, no, if the road, if it's not in the road book, we don't, there's no reason to lift, you know? And so that's kind of a, you know, it's a scary proposition when you think about that, you know, it's a, a missed note, it's a rainstorm, it's a, a rancher that drags something across the road. It's a piece of broken equipment on the road. You know, there's so many variables to it, you know? So I think, yeah, it's almost, you know, when I create them, it's almost easier, uh, easier, maybe easier and uh, better to just not deal with all the dangers. Because if you're going to ride them over time, they change. Mm -hmm. And then you just have to be like, there's a lot of dangers on this course. They're not marked and you need to ride 
what you see and ride at a level that you can handle. Um, because you know, it's just, it's going to change. And I get, you know, the, when the pro guys here on our soil have to go out and really practice at a high level, you know, the last thing they want to see is a bunch of tracks and, mm-hmm. um, you know, so there's, there's a mixed bag to that, but they, you know, I mean, there's, you know, take what, um, uh, what Todd did over on the East side, you know, I'm like, there's just the East coast rally he did. I mean, I know, uh, you know, I've listened to some of the podcast and clearly, you know, the East coast is, uh, populated so much more than the West is that, you know, you're running back forest roads and you're running some of that stuff. You just don't have room for HP and, mm-hmm. and you got to ride at your level. Otherwise you're just going to hurt yourself, you know? Yeah. So uh, you can't, it's not like going down the ball and tree running the course six times and then knowing that you can launch it off of that, you know, lifter and, and be okay on the landing. That, that, that's not how it works in rally, you know, which is part of the reason I like it is you can't, you can't pre-run and you're just not, you know, you don't get that good graces of, uh, six times hitting that, you know, that, that tabletop and knowing that you're going to get it on the other side. It doesn't work like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's, uh, I mean, and you know, it's actually, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting what you say. Yeah. If you, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at, a, uh, I mean, in my, in the studio, I have a, a, a Baja rally road book. And the amount of detail, you know, that, that Scotty builds into these things and tries to build detail into. Um, and I say try because it's it's one of those things like you sit down, you do always you put all of this detail into it and you're just trying to be super specific. But then there may be like that one note. Right. That's that's the whole thing. And that, you know, a road book is only as strong as its worst note, you know, and like a chain. So I think what you're saying, like, is. I agree with that. It's like, hey, I'm not, you know, no dangers, just major landmarks, corners, you know, those are marked because that's, you need that to be able to navigate, you know, but the rest of this is basically like you're saying, is is on you, you know, this is just meant to get you around. I made it through, you know, there might be some dangers, you know, so don't be an idiot. (laughs) Yeah, I know it's, uh, and I tell you from volunteering, uh, I mean, I just continually come away impressed that, guys like Darren, Scott Whitney, Scotty Bloom, um, Mike Graves, all those guys can put together multi-day road books to that level of detail and have that minimal amount of errors. Like, you know, I mean, I, I make some road books, but you know, when I first got into road booking and, you know, prepping for races, you know, I made a road book that was like 80 K and, and I got lost in the first 10 K of my own road book and I made it, you know? And uh, I've gotten steadily better, but it is, it's a lot of detail and a lot of effort to really put together road books of those quality and, and, you know, hats off to all those guys for really making what we get to go play on. And, you know, and I remind people all the time, cause some, you know, some people get fired up like, well, that road book was wrong. I'm like, you know, it was 300 kilometers. Can you, are you really going to go yell at the guy? Cause he had one note. Yeah out of 300 kilometers that was off a little bit. I'm like, you should go thank him for putting together such an amazing document that we all get to go play on. And if you had to go chase around for five minutes to find the right waypoint or even open up a waypoint, well, you should feel pretty lucky that this guy put this much effort into the game. And, and, you know, and they just do, it's just phenomenal. Uh, You know, I got to spend some time with Scott Whitney uh, from Baja side of the game or for Sonora side of the game. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's just like a, 
it's amazing how he can process information and really work a roadbook. Uh, it's uh, it's impressive. You know, Scotty does the same thing, and um, so it's just it's amazing what they can put together. And you know, going to the Dakar like eight hundred kilometers. I don't know how. And then they made changes midway through the race, right? And yeah. I'm like, I don't know how they could possibly have kept up with that and done it with such an amazing level of detail. It was impressive. Yeah, that's a yeah. I I don't know. I mean, I only see the 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 shadows of it in uh, in some of the road books and and reading or not. I'm not going to say some of the road books, but in some of the new like newer symbols and Rally Navigator and things like that, where um, you know it indicates. That, hey, this is a this is a hot change. This is this was made after the road books were printed. You need to add this. You know they have they have a way of of cluing that stuff in. And then you know you see um, there's uh, well where where Skyler and it was Saunders I believe that had their mm-hmm. their off at Sonora. You know you you see how they update the road book and then you know there's certain things. And there was you know initially there was some back and forth on the notes. You know. Uh, about you know well you can clearly say that that the note says it's the next few kilometers watch out for this um but you know their their side of the camp is like you know the game we play is you know if it's not in the book you don't lift because the the guy in front of you isn't or the guy behind you isn't so it makes it it makes it interesting you know having to make changes on the fly and then without without the luxury of time and pre-running it and handing it off to somebody to test it and verify it, you have to make a change, you know, that that's obviously pretty, pretty important. Just like, you know, having the luxury of having somebody pre-run that road book that's not racing, but that you can see like, okay, yeah, cool. This is good enough. You know, this was, uh, they were able to find this danger. They were able to navigate this. You know, it wasn't as tricky as I thought it was because like, you know, you make the road book and you, it's you explaining to yourself how to navigate it, but it's different when you try and explain it to somebody else with the notes. Yeah. It's, uh, like, you know, I went down and, and, uh, did the route validation for the Baja rally this year mm-hmm. and literally drove through the eye of the hurricane Hillary. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a lot of jokes, uh, but drove through the <laughs> eye of the hurricane with Hillary in order to do these route validations. Like the first day we just, we couldn't even get out where we needed to go because it was still just underwater, you know, and then everything receded and, you know, we had to do some modifications, but, um, you know, we still managed 300 kilometer days for six days of racing and, you know, pulled it all together. There were, you know, there were roads that were just literally, you know, uh, washed out eight foot cliff drops into the wash, you know, and an eight foot cliff, back up and so we had to find some reroutes to get around some of that stuff you know and you know the one bad weather storm changes everything mm-hmm. right and you just can't you can't you can you can be prepared for it um but you can't reroute until after it's done right and uh so it's a it's tough to make changes certainly last minute yeah. on events like that, you know, uh, Sonora dealt with it, Ba dealt with it. I mean, everybody's dealt with it mm-hmm. to some level and some degree, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. It, it, it puts a, it, it puts a strain in the, you know, on the, on the organization. Yeah. I remember what was a few years before that three years would have been before that Scotty nailed it. It's like every two years or every three years, you know, the hurricanes come up and, and basically reset, uh, reset the area that they play in. 
And, and I remember that, you know, he's in riding gear walking into, you know, the second day of the event. Yeah. All muddy after making changes and doing all of this stuff, because it's just that gnarly, you know, it, it can, it can change so quickly. So, it, yeah. yeah, it's, you know, it's, that's, that's why we get to go ride in places. Nobody wants to go, you know, hang out in, right. We, yeah. <laughs> we get the desolation and the, and the damaged areas. That's our, that's our game these days. And, yeah. um, you know, and fun places for us to play for sure. So, for yeah. Sure. Sure. So, <laughs> So in, uh, in closing, what do we, uh, what do we think, uh, all red podium Dakar 24, or are we going to get some Austrian bikes mixed in there? Oh, that's uh, you're, uh, yeah. Looking for predictions. I am, I am hopeful. Uh, you know, I raced Honda for a couple of years, Baja and all that stuff. So, you know, Honda's never, at least in my decade of really digging into the Dakar has struggled with just the reliability of their products. So I'm really hoping that comes through and with Ricky and Skyler, uh, two of the best talents, uh, I fully feel like we're going to see another podium finish on a Honda world. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is KTM going to get knocked off the throne again? Mm. I think they have, yeah, it's going to be a tough toss between those two brands specifically. You know, it's interesting to see, more brands coming into the game, certainly at the Dakar. I think we're all going to be watching what Mason does on this Chinese product. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and more and more guys have it now and really, you know, uh, it's got a new motor. That's not a Honda knockoff. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens on that space. So I don't know, I guess if I have to put my money on something, um, my money's always on Skyler just because he's such a great steward for this industry and he speaks well and he races a phenomenal level. And so he's, he's kind of my hopeful, uh, Ricky and, you know, clearly Mason showing up at a high levels on the top of my list as well. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know if you're asking me to like, you know, preferably bet the dollar. Um, I got a dollar on Skyler. Who's your money? Who's your money? My, uh... You know, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I feel like, uh, I don't know. I, I hear what you're saying, you know, on the, on the, the reliability, um, you know, can, can you split the money between, uh, you know, Skyler and, uh, and Ricky? You know, that's the, don't be all politically correct. I'm a Victor dude. Well, I'm looking for, you know, somebody we're, we're looking for some definition. There. Yeah. Well, you can't, it's not my, my wife who watches football. Somehow she's got to the point that she has an A team, a B team, a C team and a D team. I'm like, honey, you just got to pick one dog, one horse and race it. Right. I'm like, who's it going to be Victor? Who yeah. have you had? Yeah. If I put you on a wall with a gun, yeah. who's your money? Who's the, who's the, who is the pick? Uh, Man, you know, I think I'm, you know, I'm going to go with Skyler. I, and I know, you know, same, it's the same horse, but my, you know, his progress up the ranks has been, has been good. And I think that that is like his up the standings. And I feel like from what I'm seeing, at least on the Honda side of it now, you know, being part of the team, I feel like Honda's supporting him. Like you can just see it a lot better. You know, they got the hype around them. They got all of this stuff going on. Um, and, and I mean, honest, I, I could totally see a one, two, you know, uh, Skyler and Ricky, uh, and then, you know, maybe Toby, 
uh, on that on that third step because obviously they just lost who was it was uh, Matthias that they lost and then I think ben, one of the Benavides brothers I think was also injured recently. Yeah, so they're losing. Too. Yeah, they're losing. Uh, they're losing rounds. So that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. I'm thinking you know hard money would be Skyler up top, Ricky second, and then uh, Toby. Uh, but definitely, I, I, I'm really rooting to see the Hondas on the uh, on the podium. You know, drive that a little bit in. I'm not. Uh, I'll say. Uh, I mean, they don't sponsor the show, so I no no necessarily brand loyalty. But uh, I, I wasn't too happy with how things kind of shook out uh, with the Austrian brands versus American uh, competitors uh, for the Dakar and Rally. I you know maybe I don't know the whole story, but from thirty thousand feet, that's what it looks like to me, and I'm not necessarily impressed with that. So. Um, yeah, I get that too. I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm an old KTM dealer, so I have real brand loyalty to the old KTM franchise. I still wear KTM underwear, so I'm, you know, I'm all about, you know, that black and orange, you know, I have two black and orange flavors, and that's one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, you know, just constantly impressed with my RFR that I own that I get to play on over here. So it's a, it's a tough toss when you really, you know, I almost wonder if there's true betting odds on the Dakar. Like, you know, we can bet on horses. Can we, yeah. is there an over under and what are the odds? And, you know, I mean, it's, uh, especially when you look at last year, I mean, last year was so competitive right down to the last day. Literally I mean, the last day. When you really, when you race for, you know, 8,000 kilometers and it's a matter of minutes separating one and two, I mean, it's just, it's amazing the performance level of those top 10 guys, right? Just, yeah. it's just, it's amazing. So it's, uh, it makes for good watching, good talking and good race. And that's for sure. So I'm, I think, I don't, I don't think we're going to be disappointed this year in that activity. And if you throw in a few, you know, Ross branches and uh, Mason Klein's on some odd brand stuff and, uh, and they put out some wins and some stages, it'll be, uh, it'll be a fun game to watch, you know? And they've yeah. clearly, I don't know what the, this crazy, you know, marathon camping in the middle of the, you know, desert bivouac thing is going to be, but that's going to, that should add a little bit of interesting complexity, certainly to the top rally uh, pro guys, you know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, they're not the, the communication side of it and where everybody's at, you know, timing wise and how they would be able to figure that out if they can. And I mean, that's going to be an interesting, uh, this is definitely going to be an interesting monkey wrench uh, going, I, I kind of, I, on the surface, it looks cool. I think I, you know, I haven't really heard anything negative about it. So I think that'll be an interesting, uh, it'll be an do interesting, you know, do you know, I, I, you know, I was, I was kind of following a little bit of the marathon stage, right? It's four o'clock. They're going to ring a big bell and you got to go to the, you got to go to the, the, do you have to go to the closest bivouac or the next bivouac? So if you pass the bivouac and it, and then it becomes four o'clock, do you got to go backwards or do you get to continue to move forward to the next bivouac? Right. Like, yeah. you know, closest without going over kind of philosophy. I, I don't know if I read that in the, in the details, they're not going to, I don't know, maybe they are going to turn you back and, and give you an arrow to get you back. Right. Are they going to let you race towards the next one? You know, I'm a, yeah. I didn't read that somewhere in their rules, you know, I I believe from what I I understood, you know, and and a few explanations that I got is they ring the bell at 4 p.m. and you're you just passed bivouac two, you got to make it to bivouac three, but they're going to take your time from two 
and then add in that time. So when you get to three, you're still you're still on the clock, but then they add that stage time. So they'll take your arrival time at three and add that oh. time. You know, like, well, you technically you should have stopped at two because that's when the bell rung. But, you know, we see that from two to three, you made it in three hours. So we're adding those three hours to your stage. Interesting. Yeah. So that is, you know, I don't know how. I mean, that's again, I mean, it's it's not until we get there and we get some more official explanation from the Dakar on that chrono stage. I think that's what they're calling it. This is a chrono stage. That's going to be, yeah, it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, you know, and whether it becomes a real point of contention for top guys and then everybody protests and puts some bitching in or whether they are like, that was pretty cool. Let's keep doing it, you know? So uh, I like the concept and I love the sleeping out in the middle of the dunes, nowhere kind of thing in a very remote kind of place. I think that's kind of neat. Uh, I hope it's not pounding rain and freezing cold for them, but uh, uh, should be interesting to watch. So, yeah, I agree. It'll be good. So, where's uh, where's next stop after uh, where you're at now in Arizona? I uh, I seem to have gotten back into the motorsports, power sports industry pretty hard, and so I'm working a bunch. So I'm I'm doing some in dealership training on sales and finance process. So I I roll from here to. Uh, Paducah, Kentucky, and then down to Florida with Route 1 Motorsports, and then uh, somewhere near Virginia. And so my January and February are very um, uh, specific to motorcycle dealers. And then and then I don't know what I'm going to do next. So I'm uh, waiting on notice from the Battleborn Rally so I can commit to that one. I'm hoping to put a couple of adventure rides on the schedule for the summer. And, um, you know, just got back from Australia, which was absolutely phenomenal. And uh, I got to ride with a really cool guy that's hiked Mount Everest a couple of times. And so um, I'm just, I'm, I'm thankful this time of year. I'm very fortunate that I have a life that has been provided to me completely by the motorcycle industry. And I, I wouldn't be where I'm at without him. So uh, you guys are awesome. So I'm, I'm continuing to, play on a national dealer association board so i just nice. got a lot of work going on so um but good work and fun work and i get to do it and um it's cool that i get to play uh with motorcycle dealers still even though i'm not one anymore you know yeah. so that's what i got going on yeah nice yeah and i mean and it's important because we kind of know overall you know the 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 followership and the the riders right new riders getting on motorcycles has been you know dropping for years so I think, you know, seeing that and hopefully, you know, spurring some growth. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you my one rant and I know, I know our time's up. But so I've always believed and then sometimes it's an OEM to dealer relationship challenge. But I've always believed that the passion of our industry starts at a very local level. Right. And it's it's been the local dealer. Right. It's been Malcolm Smith Motorsports and you know, some of those guys that just inspire us to go ride, right? And it, it happens usually at your local dealership level. And as OEMs have started to try and do more stuff online and sell their product online, I think they have forgotten that most of that happens with the, you know, race on Sunday, sell on Monday philosophy that 
happened from a bunch of guys that decided that they loved this business so much they got into it, you know? Um, and I used to always joke in the industry, if you wanted to make a, uh, you know, uh, a small amount of money in the motorcycle industry, start with a large amount of money. Right. Yeah. Um, cause, cause we all got into this cause we just love the sport and we love the experiences that, that the industry gives us. And I, I really hope to see that continued effort in the dealer network, you know, that we, you know, you work for Tesla that, you know, fights the dealer network equation. And I think it's a little different in the power sports space. We all love to go into the dealership and bench race and talk to guys that, that play in our space and help us with the best choices and the best products and the best things to try. And so, um, you know, that's kind of my goal is to continue to foster the local motorcycle dealership in our communities. You know, I think it just needs to be there. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, hundred, hundred percent agree. And I think that that extends into the rally thing as well. You know, more, more events, more local events, more, you know, local availability of resources and, and information and guys that do it, you know, and then we, you know, we'll see it grow as well. So, yeah. Yeah. You point. know, I, I got to hang out with, uh, Dan, who puts on the SoCal rally, you know, he was there doing some training at Sonora and, you know, for guys like him that just put this thing on and, and, you know, uh, kudos to that man. Cause he puts in a lot of energy and effort, not for money, just for the love of the sport. And, um, it's, you know, I expect uh, that's one of those events I will likely be to, uh, be at for SoCal. So, um, and just to see what he does is just cool. Right. So, um, it's cool. It's yeah. just cool what we do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking, uh, I'm looking forward to that one as well. So yeah. Yes. On and, a bike and, uh, for that one. Yeah. I, I, uh, I'm, I must say thank you to you because I now have an 890 KTM with actual real suspension and, um, it's a different bike altogether. Like I've been beating that poor bike for the last couple of years. And now I've got like a true cartridge system and, you know, you know, I challenged getting the rear one on, but, um, I finally got to ride it and I'm like, Oh my God, dude, this thing's like a dirt bike again. I'm like, Holy crap. So, um, thank you. Thank you for the swap. I appreciate the suspension swap. I appreciate you. you. Yeah, no, no, (laughs) but it's, uh, I know, I know that was a bit of a, that was a marathon. Talking about a marathon day. I figured that one out. It was like 17 hours. I think it was total driving (laughs) for me. (laughs) Yeah. For your listeners, if you did, if you guys didn't catch, so, uh, somewhere victor had a suspension kit on a 790 that he was going to let go to sell the 790 and so we did this crazy like i'll meet you in vegas so he rode out to vegas i rode out to vegas then we got into happy dave's garage we swapped some suspension around i couldn't get a bolt out of my rear shock and uh so ultimately it all worked out but it was a a little marathon run for both of us so it was cool but yeah so but you got a dirt bike again. <laughs> a really I do, big yes. dirt bike. <laughs> I know. Yeah. No, nice. I shouldn't treat it like such, but it it's a good bike to treat like that. So nice. Very nice. Yep. Well, excellent, sir. Well, awesome. Well, you guys stay dry out there. Have a uh have a good Christmas and then uh we will uh talk to you in the new year. Awesome, Victor. Always good to chat with you. Yeah. I look forward to hearing your updates on the Dakar for sure. And uh, Merry Christmas to you, my friend, yeah. and I'll I'll see you in 2024. Sounds like a plan. Thank you, sir. Enjoy. All right, buddy. Later. Yeah. All right. So there you guys have it. Yeah. Okay. So spilling the beans. We are recording this before Christmas, actually the uh, Friday before Christmas. 
but it is rally week episode number one with David Pearson. Absolutely enjoying this. You know, David has been such an influence in the rally community uh, as far as, you know, from volunteering to racing. It didn't really matter whether the helmet was on or off. You know, it's always good to talk to, hang out with, you know, the whole family, uh, all of the Pearson family, everybody, you know, in the bivouacs and, and, and just back and forth. Absolutely love it. Um, so looking forward to spending some additional time, man. It's, uh, we've got, uh, we got a lot of events coming up. Obviously they got the Dakar rally. I, maybe it sounds bad to say, but I'm looking forward to getting the Dakar rally out of the way. We're going to know how our American racers did, you know, Mason on the Kobe, uh, newcomer to the Honda team, Skylar house, Ricky Brabeck, you know, solid in Honda, you know, I'm, I'm like I said, you know, I want podiums. Maybe we'll, we'll swap them. It, it's hard because, you know, Ricky's been working. He's on the Honda bike. He's been on that pedigree, you know, and, and just work and work and work and moving forward. Skyler, same thing growing up, you know, growing up in the Dakar, moving forward, slowly making that climb up the podium, you know, up to the podium. So, you know, we'll see, you know, hopefully I'm, I'm you know, one, two, uh, who, who, you know, it doesn't matter all three of them on the podium. I don't know, you know, but that's what we're, what we're hoping for. I think it's a Honda thing again, you know, eh, maybe there'll be a Austrian bike mixed in there. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see, but it's countdown to the Dakar starting on January 5th. Uh, we'll find out a little bit more about that chrono stage that they're talking about. You know, it's basically from what I'm reading, just super quick on it is, uh, 4 PM, the bell rings. That's it. You got to get to the next campsite. There's going to be eight, eight campsites or bivouacs mini bivouacs, no tools, no nothing. Still it's Malamoto style, basically whatever you're carrying with you, you got to stop at that next bivouac, make it happen. And then you're off to the races for the next one. So, uh, the next morning at 7am. So that one is going to be interesting. That one is going to be a challenge. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, who's the mechanic, who knows what they're doing on the bikes. Tim teammates split apart because of, you know, none of the, the, well, you know, I'm the, you know, the, the real possibilities of before it's like, okay, well, I'm on a KTM, you know, and I'm obviously leading it, but I've got another one of the Austrian bikes that's coming in and they're tail runner. They're way, way back. I'm going to swap wheels with them and, and tires because I don't have that here. You know, all of these little things, you know, the, there's going to be a big, there could be a big change up on that kind of stuff. If you're on an injured bike, you get to a campsite and you don't have a teammate with you that can help you with it. You know, they can swap it out if you're in a better position. Interesting enough, though, if they're right there with you, would they? I mean, the clock isn't that different. It's different when you're hanging around, you know, and you're going to wait three or four hours for your teammate to come in because they're that far behind to when you guys both cross the line at 4 p.m., and you've both made it to that next bivouac. So you guys are both in the same group. That's going to be an interesting one for stage time. So we'll see what happens on that one. It is countdown again to the Dakar. So we'll see. So stay tuned for tomorrow's episode. Hope you guys are enjoying. Looking forward to if you're on this channel for the first time, I can tell you right now, we've got way more listeners than we have subscribers. So if you're listening to this podcast, hit that subscribe button. Absolutely stoked. We got a lot more rally stuff coming for you guys in 2024. And I hope you guys are going to enjoy the lineup coming up this week. So enjoy. And remember, guys, it'll make sense when you get there. Enjoy the ride. What's going on, guys? Victor with the Chasing Waypoints podcast. All right. Are you looking to promote your brand to a worldwide audience on the podcast? Drop us a line at podcast at chasingwaypoints.com. And let's talk. See what we can do about getting you some more ears for your company and getting the word out worldwide.
All right, that is a wrap for the Chasing Waypoints podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Looking forward to our next one coming up. Remember, if you are out riding, do not forget to tag us at Chasing Waypoints. Hashtag Chasing Waypoints. And if you haven't already, get on over to the website. Get signed up for the newsletter, The Bivouac. North America's Rally Raid and Adventure Riding newsletter. Hey, let's have some fun. Let's find out what are you guys up to. Let's get you featured. If you're a brand and looking to get supported, get some eyeballs, get some ears on your business. Absolutely. Hit us up. Send us a message at podcast at Chasing Waypoints. But anyway, that is a wrap. Remember, shiny side up. See you guys.